0: So in this passage, we have Paul addressing the Corinthians on the topic of sexual immorality. There are two things that really went together notoriously. Corinth was a Roman colony in Greece. It was a port and a centre for trade. It was full of Greeks, Romans and other nationalities. It was a pagan city. And there were hundreds of shrines and temples to different gods there. And it was a sexually permissive culture. It was notorious for prostitution, particularly at those shrines and temples where sex and pagan rituals were often interwoven. And so widespread was this practice in Corinth that across the Roman world, the phrase live like a Corinthian was proverbial for living it's actually dissolute life. And the phrase Corinthian girl was proverbial for prostitute. And so this is the context the Corinthian church found itself in, And sadly, some of this local culture had seeped into the church. Paul had written earlier in his letter that there was sexual immorality in the church of the kind that even pagans would not tolerate. Someone had slept with his stepmother and nobody had challenged him on it. And in our passage, there's a suggestion that some church members were using prostitutes. And there didn't appear to be any repentance or godly sorrow over this. It's a really difficult passage in some respects because like many parts of the Corinthian letters, it's Paul reconstructing previous conversations he had had with the church. And we don't have the full record of those conversations. But it does seem that some of the Corinthians were pretty robust at defending their sense of personal freedom. I have the right to do anything, was their claim, according to this passage. And we don't know if that was a general disclaimer or if they were specifically defending their right to follow their sexual appetite but it's clear they were asserting their freedoms. There are more clues to their attitude in their comments about food. They said there's food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Perhaps they thought that natural appetites were just a bodily thing unrelated to the spiritual life, and that what they did with their bodies had no eternal consequence. And maybe they were implying with that sentence that where there's an appetite, it should just be filled whether in relation to food or sex, of course could be used to justify absolutely anything. But this second argument is sometimes what we hear today. You know, modern society in the West is sexually permissive. You can sleep with who you want, when you want. Um, it's your body, your choice, as we are told. Corinthian defense of, I have the right to do anything, um, echoes today. Except to be fair, I believe it was worse back then because the power dynamics between people were more extreme than they are now. Men had far more power and control over women in general, and they also had complete control over what they did with their slaves. There were limited legal protections, certainly no safeguarding, and powerful men could abuse at whim. And the result of this was, you know, massive sexual exploitation, abuse, and suffering. I believe it was a worse situation than we have now, but there are parallels in terms of the philosophy of permissiveness. And Paul does not shirk back from challenging the Corinthians on this. And his first point is that we as Christians are to master our appetites, not be enslaved by them. And Paul claims himself, he does not allow himself to be mastered by anything And later on in the letter, Paul takes it further. He says he makes his body his slave so that after he preaches to others, he will not be disqualified from his heavenly prize. So we're not to be controlled by the flesh, by fleshly appetites, whether food, sex or anything else, even legitimate appetites must not control us. We are to be masters over our own flesh. And I believe fasting can be really powerful in this area because the strongest natural appetite we have is for food. But when we're given the grace to fast, it enables us to rise above that intense appetite for food, deny it, master it, and submit our flesh instead to the leadings of the spirit. And that can lead to breakthrough over every other kind of fleshly desire. So Paul's first point is that we must master our appetites. And his second point is that our bodies are not ours. They belong to God. It's not my body, my choice. It's the Lord's body and his will be done. Verses 13 to 15 says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members? Of Christ himself. Our bodies actually belong to Christ and are even in some way an extension of Christ himself, members of Christ himself, and must never be used for sexual immorality. The passage goes on, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So we are one with Christ, Paul says. But if you have sex with a prostitute, for example, you become in some way one with that prostitute, one flesh. You'll be exchanging a holy union for an unholy union. Our body should outwardly express our internal union with Christ, not to be used as vehicles for sexual sin. You'll notice that Paul quotes from Genesis in this passage where he writes, the two shall become one flesh. This is God's original design. Scripture begins early on with the claim that God made us male and female and gave us the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And in the second creation narrative, it says that for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Paul was jealous for God's original design and knew the dangers of deviating from it. He then goes on, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price, Therefore, honour God with your bodies. We have been bought at a price. We have been purchased with the holy blood of Jesus, and we're to use our bodies to honour God. We belong to him, body and all. And our bodies, according to Paul, are temples of the Holy Spirit. So, If we defile ourselves through sexual sin, we not only grieve the spirit, but we also defile our own temples. We sin against our own body. I'm reminded of the reconquest of Jerusalem by Roman general Titus, who put down the Jewish revolt against Rome. Soldiers overcame the city's defences and they broke into the Jewish temple, um, slaughtering the remaining defenders. And the temple was later torn down brick by brick, never to be rebuilt. But before it was torn down, Jewish sources claim that Titus committed An incredible act of desecration by having sex with a prostitute in the most holy place in the temple. And if true, it's highly symbolic. There's nothing more he could have done to try to violate the holiness of God represented by that place. When we commit sexual immorality, we are somehow desecrating our own holy temple, our own body, where the glory dwells. bodies are designed like the temple was to contain and radiate the manifest glorious presence of god so we must flee as paul says flee from any kind of unholy activity in the holy temple of the body when it comes to sexual sin and impurity i'm really reminded of the sirens of greek mythology those beautiful but Monic creatures who sat perched on the rock of the seashore. And when ships sailed by, they would sing to the sailors a beautiful and seductive song. And the sailors would become bewitched and start to sail too close to the shore, only to be shipwrecked on the rocks and then devoured by the creatures. Homer described their seduction in the Odyssey. He wrote this, if anyone unwarily draws in too close and hears the singing of the sirens, His wife and children will never welcome him home again for the sirens will warble him to death with the sweetness of their song. There is a great heap of dead men's bones lying all around with the flesh still rotting off them. So many people have had their lives destroyed by sexual sin. It often starts small, but the first fruit of any sexual sin is that our consciences become numbed and our hearts start to become hardened and we open the door to feelings of shame and the fear of condemnation. And in time, if left unchecked, affairs are embarked upon, marriages are ruined, families are torn apart and ministries crash and burn. We must never let our relationships, our destiny, our, our lives crash on the rocks of seduction. Don't listen to the sirens because nobody gets away with it. Paul wrote in Galatians 6 verse eight, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. There's a great cost to unrepented of sexual sin. And this is why the Father warns us of it. This is why he has put boundaries down throughout scripture. It's because God is good. He loves us so much. The warnings are strong in scripture because the father doesn't want us getting devoured by the sirens. He's a father who wants the very best for his children. And as soon as we turn to him, we find nothing but mercy, compassion, and help in time of need. I believe God longs for us to all walk in purity and in freedom. While I was praying about this talk, the Lord gave me a picture of a person's heart and inside the heart, I saw a white flower and the flower represented purity. And I have to say, I've never seen a flower like it on earth. It was new to me and had an almost ethereal quality to it. It was a flower from another realm, a flower of great beauty, and it it was symbolic. It represented purity in our hearts. And the flower of purity can grow as we yield to God, but we are to protect our purity, protect the flower of purity the Lord places in each of us. So I want to propose five things this evening that can help us protect our purity and grow in purity. Five things. And the first thing is soaking ourselves in scripture not as a legalistic discipline, but because when we read the word, we are washed by the word. The word of God actually cleanses and sanctifies us as we read it. Jesus said in John 17:17, 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In John 15:3, Jesus told his disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. We are clean because of the word he's spoken to us. And as we read his word, as we're continually washed by the word, something of God's holiness and purity flows into us. And it softens our consciences. If you have a clean, washed, softened, sensitive conscience, then it's much, much harder to do something defiling so regular reading of the word helps us protect the purity God has given us. The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we should soak ourselves in scripture. And second point out of five is, we could soak ourselves in the spirit. Paul wrote in Galatians 5 verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking in the spirit is key to walking in purity and key to living in mastery over the flesh. And it starts with radical surrender. Our flesh wakes up in the morning wanting to go its own way, but we have to submit all of ourselves, including our bodies, To the Holy Spirit each morning and ask him to take the reins of our lives. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit we start to be more filled, we hear his voice more clearly and we start to be led by the Spirit step by step. Sexual sin and fleshly habits, they can't be overcome by willpower, they're overcome as a natural byproduct of choosing to walk by the Spirit. The more you yield the Holy Spirit, the less you'll yield to sin. So the Holy Spirit gives us mastery over the flesh and self-control itself is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. So soak your life in the Spirit and see the results. Peter in uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 2 talks of the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul declared in Romans 8.13, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Point number three, deal with your shame. Aidan was talking about this earlier, this imperative to deal with shame. And, you know, nothing imparts shame into our systems more quickly than sexual sin. Guilt tells us we've done something wrong, but shame tells us there's something wrong about us. We feel guilty about what we've done, but shame about who we are. So shame can become an identity issue very quickly, which is dangerous because it locks us into sin patterns. If we think we're innately dirty, then we will gravitate towards more dirt. We become who we think we really are. If you're struggling with sexually addictive behaviors, then the first step, of course, is asking the Lord for forgiveness each time amongst other things that can deal with guilt but you also then need to go after any shame that may still be in your system bring your shame into the light before Jesus and hand it over to him Jesus can deliver us from shame he didn't just bear our sin on the cross he bore our sin and our shame Hebrews 2.2 says Jesus despised the shame of the cross. And he did this so we could experience Romans 10.11. All who believe in him will not be put to shame. So as well as asking for forgiveness, come before the Lord and make sure that you've given him all of your shame. When Jesus takes our shame, he always blesses us with something positive in return. We're not meant to be clothed in shame. That was never God's design. We're meant to be clothed in the glorious presence of God. As Paul said, we are the temple. And like the temple, we are meant to be filled, to overflowing with the glory. And this is so redemptive. You know, Jesus takes our Adamic shame and he restores us. Glory, as he told the Father in prayer. This is John seventeen twenty-two. I have given them the glory that you gave me. And Paul wrote in Romans eight thirty that we have been glorified. Our bodies are temple, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the glory dwells. So let Jesus take your shame, and instead clothe you with His glorious presence. Point number four of five is develop deep heart connections with others. I read a psychology article a few years ago which presented evidence from a study that showed the best way to help people who have addictions, and that includes sexually compulsive behaviour, is not punishment but rather helping them find greater connection with those around them. The study found that addiction and compulsive behaviour dramatically lessened when people were given the opportunity to form stronger social bonds. And so if you're struggling with sexual sin, particularly if it's compulsive, then part of the solution is to strengthen your bonds with others, pursue greater connection. Loneliness is the seedbed of so much sin because pain always looks for pleasure to numb itself. So get connected with others, know others, and let yourself be deeply known as you really are. God designed our hearts to be connected. It also gives us the opportunity to confess our sins to each other, which again breaks off shame. 1 John 1, verse 7 says this But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin my final point point number five is to deepen your connection with Christ in this text Paul has an underlying theme of connection as I've noted he talks about union our union with each other particularly the union of man and wife who come together as one uh, but also our union with Christ and Paul wants us to honor these holy unions by living a pure and holy life with our bodies. And I believe that if we wholeheartedly embrace our connection, our union with Jesus, it will take us to a place of deep heart satisfaction and protect us from the siren call of sexual sin. Let's not just be on the defensive with sexual sin, let's be on the offensive by embracing our union with Christ. There are so many um, different ways of experiencing or exploring union with Christ. But for me, I believe that spending, spending extended periods of time in worship is key to going deeper with Jesus. When we worship, it brings us out of the darkness of shame and hiding and towards his glorious light. We come before the Lord with unveiled faces. Jesus is the lifter of our heads he lifts up our eyes he lifts our countenance up out of the mire and the shame he gaze into his eyes of love and his light and his love starts to flow into our hearts when we come to a deep place of worship from the heart then we will experience our union with christ more deeply we can never reach the end of worship there are always greater depths of worship to be discovered, there's always a place of deeper devotion that can be accessed and a deeper purity of heart on the other side. I believe that our purity of devotion will eventually determine our purity of heart. If you're struggling with purity of heart, then pursue radical devotion and worship every day. And let your devotion take you straight to the one who is purity, Jesus. When our eyes are locked on Jesus, we all glimpse his purity, his holiness, his beauty. And this in turn will purify our own hearts. Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. John wrote that we will be like Jesus when we see him as he is. That's 1 John 3, 2. I believe we can start to step into that now as we go deeper in worship. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's circular. The more we see him, the more we are purified, the more we are purified, the more we can see there is a deep interflowing connection between intimacy, seeing, and purity. And when we experience genuine, powerful intimacy with Christ, it will completely undermine our need to grasp the poor substitute of sexual sin. Sexual sin, as Aidan mentioned, is, is often a need for intimacy misdirected. So our desires must be directed back into true intimacy. But to do so, we have to first believe that when we choose to die to the flesh, there will be a reward on the other side of the door. A reward, in fact, we can start to experience now. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is a matter of faith. We have the faith let go of the small comforts and sins and addictions we can cling on to and embrace a crucified life in order to experience a greater glory. When our flesh starts craving for connection, love and intimacy, touch, pleasure, the desire to be known and embraced, then name those things and bring them into the light. And instead of reaching for the false comfort of sexual sin. Bring, bring your knees to Jesus and ask him to touch your heart in those places. This is the very testing ground where we can say to Jesus, I believe you will meet my deepest needs. And in the place of temptation, I will not go my own way, desperately trying to meet my own needs. Instead, I will come to my King, knowing, believing, that he can meet the needs of the one he created more than anything else in this earthly realm can. It's in this place of exchange that transformation comes. This is where the glory lands. This is where the wine of heaven starts to flow into the parched landscape of our hearts. This is where Jesus proves to us that he's our all in all, that he's altogether lovely, that he is after all the desire of the nations. This is where we experience not the kiss of the flesh, but the kisses of the Lord. This is where we can discover a comfort, a love, a satisfaction, a bliss that's from another realm. Jesus is saying, let me into the most dark, lonely and hurting places of your heart. Those places that have become a landing pad for sin. And let me prove my love for you in those places because the only long-term answer to sexual sin and addictions and the deep needs of our heart for connection is divine romance. To overcome the false intimacy of sexual sin, we must passionately embrace true intimacy with Christ. It's not an easy answer. It's a narrow path involving great faith and lying to ourselves, but grace can carry us there. I'm going to finish up. I've given five suggestions to help us stay in a place of purity. Soak in scripture, soak in the spirit, deal with shame, be heart connected with others. But above all, I would encourage you every day to pursue a deeper devotion, a deeper worship, and a deeper love for Jesus. Our purity of devotion will eventually determine our purity of heart. They don't live like a Corinthian, as the ancient proverb said, choose Christ, flee from the siren call of sexual sin and find your all in him. I think it'd be good to pray now before Jamie leaves us in for more worship. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness that knows no bounds, that has no limitations, a deep and everlasting forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you cleanse us and wash us with your holy blood. And I pray tonight as as we think on these things, as we think on our lives, and as we come to you, as we come into your presence, that, you would wash all of us clean. I pray for a great cleansing, a great washing, and that you would take all of our sin and shame away. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us day by day to come to you with all of the need of our hearts, and have the confidence and the faith that you're waiting there for us, Jesus, that you will walk these issues out with us in relationship, that you have the key to set us free and that you love us with an everlasting love. Amen going to hand over to Jamie now to worship.